Good morning, everybody. Uh, and so I hope to be able to, to stand here and preach wearing an Ireland shirt. Uh, but yesterday's events made that sadly uh, not an option. If you, uh, if you don't have a Bible, uh, you'd be very welcome to grab one for the back. Uh, we're now in the seventh installment in our series in Romans 8. We're kind of dragging it along to get as much money out of you as possible. Potentially in a couple of years, there'll be some kind of trash reboot. And we'll revisit it. But as we, as we come, we're in a, a glorious passage uh, where we see right throughout there are some glorious, glorious truths that Paul lays out for us. Each sentence, if we take it to heart, if we cherish it, it will do wonderful things. Last week we were looking at verses 14 to 17. Uh, we thought about our adoption as sons and the inheritance that comes as a result of that. And today that kind of posture, uh, that looking forward, uh, is continued as we come to verses 18 to 25. Uh, as I read it, I'm going to read from verse uh, 17 as well, um, just so it gives us a little bit more of the picture of what it is that this coming glory that we're going to hear about involves. So here we go, Romans 8, uh, chapter 18, no, Romans chapter 8, verse 18 to 25. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. I just want to note on that, the way the ESV translates the last phrase, um, well, it's, it's a very difficult phrase to translate. So the NIV says revealed in us. Um, probably the best translation is the NEB. It says the, the glory that is in store for us. Because it's a glory not just that we, we see, but that we are participators and, and shareholders in. So the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is in store for us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to, sub, subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience." If we ever needed to, to be reminded that the God we worship is sovereign, isn't it great that he has directed us to this passage at the time we're in? And as we go through the passage, I want us to see uh, three glorious realities that Paul lays out. The first is in that first verse, that suffering is not worth comparing with the glory that is in store for us. The second, that that glory that is in store is abundantly wonderful. And the third is that suffering is hugely significant and Jesus empathizes with us in it. The best way I thought to kind of uh, show this contrast between the suffering and the future glory uh, is by a picture of some things that are in the universe. Um, so it should come up. Uh, I know it's hard to read. You don't really need to read it. Um, but you'll see in the top left, um, you've got some planets, Mercury, Mars, Venus, and Earth. And Earth is the biggest one there. But then the next one along... Uh, you have Earth, which is in the, in the left, which you probably can't even see, and Neptune and Uranus and Saturn and Jupiter. 
And then in number three, you have Jupiter uh, next to some star, then next to our sun, and then next to some bigger star called Sirius. And then in number four, you probably can't see it at all. You have that star Sirius. Then you have another star, and another star, and another star that's even bigger. Then you have that giant star next to another star, and another star, and another star called like Betelgeuse. And then in the bottom, you have Betelgeuse as the left, and the stars just keep getting bigger and bigger. And so compared to those huge stars, Earth isn't really anything. It is tiny. It's not worth comparing with those big stars at all. You wouldn't be able to get them on the same slide. But yet we know that Earth is hugely significant. We know that Earth is the planet where Jesus came down. We know that the God who made all those stars and made the whole universe is the God who knows about every hair that falls off your head and cares about every breath that you take. And so this suffering um, that is not worth comparing with the future glory, uh, this suffering, uh, you may have noticed as we read it, it's um, suffering is used in verse 17 and 18. Uh, but the word that Paul uses for suffering is slightly different. So in verse 17, it was this very kind of active suffering. Um, so it is, because of my commitment to Jesus, I will suffer as a result. There will be persecution that comes. In verse 18, um, the, the word for suffering is far broader. So it incorporates that suffering, but it also incorporates suffering that is life, that happens, suffering that, that we really don't have any control over. And so the suffering that does not compare is the whole spectrum of suffering. And it does not compare with the glory. As Paul writes this to the Romans, uh, Paul is a free man. Uh, He's been in prison before. Uh, He's been beaten before. He's been tortured before. He's had to flee cities because they tried to kill him. And he writes to a church in Rome that have already, many of them, and they will continue to die for their faith in Jesus. The stories of the Roman persecution of Christians are the sort of stories um, that I'd only be able to tell after 9 p.m. They are hugely brutal. And yet Paul says that even that suffering is not worth comparing with the glory that is in store for us. And that suffering, that level of persecution, uh, sadly still exists around the world today. Approximately 245 million of our family are persecuted for their faith. Thousands of them will die each year for their faith in Jesus. In North Korea, families are torn apart as a parent is sent to a concentration camp because they own a Bible. There are places in the world where becoming a Christian is signing your own death warrant. And yet Paul says that that suffering does not compare with the glory that is in store for us. And most of us, thankfully, but definitely not all, don't experience that persecution here. There's a very real kind of active suffering in the financial giving and the time giving that comes from a commitment to Jesus. But our lives aren't in danger from persecution. We can worship freely. But by no means are we we devoid of this suffering that Paul talks about. And I really wish that I could stand here and have to work really hard to prove to you that there is a lot of suffering going on. But I don't really. We see it all around us in our family. The sufferings of this present time, it's not an abstract reality we have to work hard to imagine. It's the daily reality of life around us. And we see it uh, when we hear the story of a baby that's trapped in hospital. 
and she's fighting for life. And we see it when there's a beloved father, a husband, a friend, a mentor, and they seem to be reaching the end. And the reality is there are circumstances and sufferings going on that I don't know about and many of us won't know about, but they are happening. And life just seems to come with one punch after another and there doesn't seem to be any hope and it just gets worse and worse. And yet Paul, Paul has the cheek to say that none of this is worth comparing with the glory that is in store. How could Paul say that? If only Paul knew what was going on. If only Paul knew the joy that had been ripped from our hearts. If only Paul knew the miracle it takes to get out of bed in the morning and try and put on a smile. How could he? But as Paul says that this suffering is not worth comparing with the glory that is in store, he's not diminishing suffering at all. He just has really high hopes and high expectations of the glory that is coming. What could this glory be that it is so significant that nothing else could compare? This glory, it's clear it's a future glory. It's not a glory that comes in this time on earth. It is to be revealed to us. It is in store for us. Now certainly as we, as we live on earth, there is great joy to be found in Jesus. There is no life better than a life in relationship with him. But it's still only a shadow of the glory that is in store for us. The glory of eternal life with Jesus. That eternal life to come will be far, far more glorious than our wildest dreams could imagine. And it's genuinely impossible to describe in human words how majestic it's going to be. The Bible could describe it as well as it can. But still, as as fallen people, we're never going to fully get it. The best we can imagine probably doesn't even compare to how good the glory will be. But Paul attempts in these, in these verses to show us a little bit of what this glory entails. Firstly, there is a, a new creation. So the creation he talks about in these verses, uh, he's talking about the kind of the subhuman level of creation. Uh, so it's not about us, it's about um, the world we see outside. And we see that this earth is futile. We see a very broken earth. If you were following the rugby last week, you probably saw the, the pictures of the typhoon that, that ravages across Japan. Uh, we see a, a climate crisis that's coming. On Friday night in Aberdeen, even, there was flooding that caused disruption. But there is a time coming uh, where all of this just won't happen. Jesus Christ says that he is making all things new. There will be a new city, a new Jerusalem. Creation will be set free from its bondage to corruption. The goodness with which God originally made the world, where he declared it is good, that will be restored. And this renewal, this restoration, is the story for us too. Paul writes that we are waiting for our adoption as sons. And we heard last week um, that we know that those who become Christians, those who are led by the Spirit of God, are today, this very day, sons of God. But this will be kind of realized fully when we go to live with Jesus in heaven forever. And we receive the fullness of that inheritance that comes with being sons of God. We wait too, he says, for the redemption of our bodies. Our resurrected bodies where it all works. Bits don't break and fall off. 
You don't look in the mirror and wish there was a little bit less or a little bit more. Our bodies don't decay with cancer. There's no sitting in a room and waiting and just hoping for the test results to come through. There's no daily pain to battle through. Jesus Christ promises that he will make us healthy, new, invincible. We will work. And yet Paul in those verses, he says something of the glory, but I want us to consider a kind of wider picture of what the Bible says that glory will be like. And so as Colin did earlier, I'd invite you if you want to close your eyes. I'm going to read maybe about 15, 16 verses. And still this is only a picture of the glory that is coming, but it helps us to look forward to a great, great time in eternity. Listen to these words from the Lord. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, Who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherds. And he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That is just some of the glory that is in store for us. 
If you can fully get your head around the glory that is in store, then you've completely missed how great it's going to be. We aren't going to get it now. But this is the hope that we have. This is the hope that we cling to. This is life with God forevermore. It is glorious. And we don't cling to this hope, and we don't proclaim this hope as some kind of wishful thinking. And it's not escapism either, either, that just when bad stuff comes, oh, we'll forget about it, we'll look look up, and it'll all be okay. This is the promise of God to all who come to Jesus. So in verse 23 in Romans 8, Paul talks of us having the first fruits of the Spirit. And this giving of the first fruits of the Spirit is kind of like a down payment or a first installment or a pledge. It's a commitment from the Lord to those who have the Spirit that this will be the glory that is in store. That those who are sons of God will one day see and experience this great glory. It is a sure promise made by God. And the guarantor of this payment, it's not you. It doesn't depend on how well you manage to cope when suffering comes. It doesn't depend on how Christian you might feel that day. It depends on the unfailing, the unwavering, the rock-solid Spirit of God. The Spirit that will keep you until the very end. Until you enter that glory. Until you are embraced in the arms of Jesus. And so that is some of the glory that is so great. That is some of the glory that Paul says our suffering doesn't even compare to. And so from there, it'd be really, really easy, and many Christians sadly have across the world, just diminish suffering and say that suffering doesn't matter, that it's a small thing. People believe it, but it is an awful, awful lie, and I really hope that we wouldn't. Because by no means do we have a God that dismisses suffering. Instead, we have a God who embraced suffering for the sake of us. We have Jesus who came and he wept for the suffering he experienced and we experience. So Jesus on earth, uh, you can read it in uh, John 4, I think. Uh, He saw his friend Lazarus dead and Jesus wept. But Jesus knew it was all going to be okay. Jesus was the one who was going to, in a few minutes later, raise him to life. He knew that that suffering was light and momentary. He knew there was something better to come. But he still wept. Suffering still hurts. And we also have have Jesus in the garden as as he's preparing to be crucified. And he is a fully broken man. He is sweating drops of blood because of the suffering that he is going to endure. And of course, Jesus knew that it would all be okay. Jesus knew that he was going to rise again later. Jesus knew that that death was going to pay for the sins of the whole world. Jesus knew that after that, he would be exalted in heaven forevermore. But the suffering was so great that Jesus sweat drops of blood. And he begged and asked God if there would be another way. And on the cross, as Jesus is dying for us, he cries out in agony, and he asks God, why have you forsaken me? Christ suffered and died, and he didn't do it all with a great smile on his face. It was no small thing for God. Suffering hurts, and suffering matters. 
And as Christ looked on the suffering of his people in Matthew 9, he had great compassion on them, it says. He saw them as harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Back in the Old Testament, as Israel is suffering uh, under slavery, they cry out to God, and God hears their cry. God knows their pain, and God remembers the promises that he made to them. Jesus Christ joined us in the very mess, in the very suffering of this world, so that he could make a future glory possible. And without him, that promise that the sufferings are not worth comparing with the future glory is just void. There's no point in it. Without Jesus, the best we can say is that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the suffering that is in store for us. Without Jesus, the suffering right now is as good as it gets. It's all downhill from there. There's no hope. There is no coming glory. But in Jesus Christ, there is hope. There is hope of a glory in store greater than we could ever imagine. And Jesus Christ calls to you now. Whoever you are and whatever the the awful things that are going on, you can come and you can trust and you can rest in him. Jesus Christ says the sufferings of the present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is in store for us. Amen. Uh, let me pray. Lord, we thank you that the glory that is in store is so abundantly wonderful. Lord, it is our, it is our hope And Lord, we thank you that that no suffering is undertaken alone, but that you are with us um, when life just seems to suck, when we see a broken world, where each day is painful. And Lord, we thank you um, that in the midst of that, we can hold on to the truth that the glory is coming and we will live for you forevermore where there is no pain and no sickness and no death and no mourning and no crying. Amen.